Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June, this is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June, an informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hi folks, it's Helia. Just wanted to pop in at the start of this episode and say that you might notice that the audio is just a little bit glitchy in places for this episode. We've cleaned it up as much as we can, but every now and again, you might notice that it's a bit glitchy. This is what happens when you have to do everything via Zoom. So I know you're all very familiar with how that works. Regardless, Louise has some really fabulous insights about advisory boards and what it means. And whether you're on an advisory board or a governance board, I think you're going to find a lot in today's conversation that will be helpful and insightful. So soldier on with it and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Louise Brokeman about the emergence of advisory boards and why they are a growing area of work in portfolios. First, let me tell you about Louise. Louise is the founder and CEO of the Advisory Board Centre. Having had first-hand life-changing experience with her advisory board in a previous business, Louise researched and tested the advisory board sector for five years prior to establishing the world's first professional body for the advisory board sector. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Louise. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Great to be here. Fantastic to have you. And 
I'm really looking forward to exploring advisory boards today because people often talk about advisory boards, but you know, there is a pretty broad range about what that might mean and what it, how it could fit into portfolios and so on. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. But before we delve into that, I always like to find out a little bit more about our guests. So can you tell me, tell me a story about young Louise and what that tells us about how you got to where you are today? Well, I guess there's a few different young versions or younger versions. <laughs> so I grew up in a family that had, you know, small businesses and uh, that shapes you in such a way that it's it's just osmosis, isn't it, when, when you grow up in, in business. And so I, I established my first business when I was 19 years old for myself and then worked in, um, it was all in tourism and hospitality, had my own restaurant, worked in with Qantas and managed island resorts on the Great Barrier Reef, Dunk Island and Great Keppel Island for a few years. So I loved living on the, on, on the islands. It, it, that was also life-changing because you're not just managing your business, you're managing your community. Mm. You learn a lot from that when you're living and working together <laughs> in isolation. Um, but being in business has always been in my blood. And in 2000, I saw the opportunity for outsourced human resources to the business sector. And so I jumped into a business doing that but a really good decision for me to make at that time was to establish a research uh, model so instead of taking corporate HR into the business sector it's actually a very different thing so I wanted to research that and develop methods and models based around what actually happens in the business sector not just assuming it and that business was a was a, a really a good solid business, but had the opportunity to expand and and I didn't want to mess up the wonderful opportunity of scaling a business. I wanted to make really strong decisions, and I didn't know the decisions they were making whether they were good or not. And so I thought I really need support, but I don't want to lose control of business. So I thought I need an advisory board. <laughs> so that was in two thousand and five, and. As they say, everything else is history from that because that was absolutely life-changing for me, Helia. Mm, well, you know, I said that as part of the introduction that it was a that was a life-changing experience for you. So, you know, which leads us beautifully to our topic around advisory boards. So that was your first experience. Tell us about how you even knew what an advisory board was and what it did for that organisation. I actually didn't know what it was. but And so I, probably like everybody else was doing at the time, I just made it up. I knew I needed support. I knew where my strengths were and where my blind spots were. Uh, and so I chose three people that I really deeply admired uh, to have a collaborative conversation of a group of mentors that, that I deeply respect that I really also admired the decisions that they had made, whether they're, they're not, business decisions are not always easy decisions. And so finding people who can really navigate that in an ethical way, in a way that you really deeply respect to support you and have them selfishly look at, look at you and supporting you. And I wanted to step up and be the best I could be. So if I could, if I could do that in front of people that I really admired and they could really test my thinking, I thought that was just a great idea. So I had three people in on that advisory board and they were they were with me for that five year period and it was it was equally there for business as well as it was for me personally. So I needed to be able to survive my own ambition 
Uh, mm -hmm. So I, think, I knew I wanted to do that, but there are, there are consequences to building a business um, and the effort and the energy that's needed to be able to do that. So I wanted the business to be healthy, but I also wanted to be healthy mm. as a human being in all and not lose your humanity when you're so focused on driving something. So that was that was really important. That was part of the charter, actually, is, was for them to make sure I, they looked after my head, my pocket and my heart. <laughs> that was in the charter. Oh, I love that. That is fabulous. Yeah. It was very, it was very good. That enabled me to let my guard down, actually, hell yeah, because you don't want to project and, and say this business is fantastic and everything's going well. Uh, you've got to be able to say, I'm actually struggling here. And when you are that, people say being authentic, but being really genuine about how the impact those decisions have on the business but on you personally, you're enabling people to, to, to be let in and you make better decisions on that because you know, it's not just about being a, a bigger business, it's about being a, a better business and a better person for it. Oh, there is so much to pick apart in there. I hardly know where to start. So, oh, I want to talk about a couple of things. So you said that, you know, you knew your own strengths and you knew your own blind spots and you wanted to bring people on to kind of work with that. What were the strengths of the people that you brought on and how did you find them? Mm. Well, at the time I just went into my own networks that, that I knew because I, I didn't know how to access people I didn't know. And so with those three factors, uh, I chose uh, someone who is a serial entrepreneur in the tech space. So we developed um, Australia's first HR software at the time back in 2004. We end up with thousands of businesses using that software, but it's not just the software, it's the commercialisation strategy that sits behind it too. So I, I chose someone who, who was really strong in that space. Then I, another, <laughs> they're all serial entrepreneurs, another entrepreneur that was really good on the numbers and really making really sound commercial decisions um, about the business model itself. And then I brought my brother on, uh, who is also an entrepreneur, but he's one of my best friends and I wanted him to make sure I was going to be okay. So that were the profiles um, that I saw and I just, I just approached them. And they were so generous uh, with, with their time and their focus as well in, in supporting me in a structured way so I wasn't overstepping the mark. Um, but I structured four meetings, three to four meetings a year, and that, that worked really well. I wish I'd known then what I know now about the structure because imagine what I could have done now with, with knowing how impactful advisory boards can be with other types of structures in place as well. You know, I'm eternally grateful for what they, they had done and their candour um, and their intellectual honesty and being able to be tough uh, with me at times too when I, when I really needed it and then compassionate at other times as well. Oh, they sound like an amazing mix to have on deck for you. And I, you talked about the charter and what was it, the head, head heart and... My, my pocket. Oh, that's right, of course. Head, heart and pocket. I love it. So talk me through the charter. Um, you said, you know, you met four times a year, I think, by the sounds of things, looking after head, heart and pocket. How did you put together, you know, you, you were just learning as you go. What did you put in your charter? At the time, <clears throat> I probably, just the things that were really important to, to the business, the way I do charters now and the way that we provide resources to certified chairs is actually quite different but it was a really very very focused on 
I wanted to grow the business. I wanted to keep it safe and, and know what the parameters are around confidentiality and conflicts of interest and, and all those sorts of sort of standard type of business clauses that I had in that. But at the time, it wasn't particularly sophisticated, but it got the job done. And you had also said, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah. So if you did know then what you know now, what would you have done differently? So many things, Helia. When I was researching, testing and validating advisory boards for five years, I was chairing advisory boards. I did a research project on the consulting industry worldwide. So I researched 430 consulting firms in 17 countries to look at what those trends were. And what I really found in all of that, you know, testing on myself, testing with other people, having the research, was the importance of preparation and doing things like now we certify chairs that have got a process called a board starter program. It's a three-month approach to establishing an advisory board and it makes a world of difference to be able to have that time with someone who was nominated as a chair and having a chair that knows what they're doing and knows the business and knows the person to then select the advisors that are really fit for purpose for what that business need, needs next. And this is, this is the science that sits behind measurement of a business, measurement of economic impact of an advisory board and having absolute clarity in purpose around what an advisory board is there to do for that period of time. So the charter now is built at the end of a three-month process rather than the beginning of a process because there's a lot to unpack and to uncover and actually look at what are the levers for whatever it is that you want next, what are the levers to be able to help you get there um, and to truly understand that and for the chair to understand you, not judge you. So not having someone who's a consultant there or trying to facilitate you, a chair to a business owner is a peer-to-peer relationship and, and they've got your back. And this is where the role of my chair now, we meet on a, on a monthly basis in between those advisory board meetings and that helps you to stay the course. You get the nerves, you get the jitters, I made that decision, oh, is it the right one? I want to change my mind. They, it absolutely is that accountability partner. Mm. Uh, to you and when you build a charter you've got absolutely you are crystal clear about what what you want and your business and what your business needs and then you stay on course and that is such a, a big difference take the time to build the right charter find the right voices around that table and go to people that you don't know so that it's a very clear business decision and it takes that emotive part out of your advisory board meetings you still have compassion and you you still have that understanding in the business sector and small and medium-sized businesses when you're dealing with a founder I'm a founder there's a lot of emotion that goes with that and so to be able to get beyond that and have a conversation that's beyond the you story and your purpose but also being able to impactfully um, deliver on that purpose that's where the the value of having the right process and the right people based around the right purpose. So just picking up on that last part about choosing people for your advisory board that you don't know, I was interested to hear that on your advisory board you had your brother, obviously somebody who knows you quite well. I'm not sure who's older but possibly known you for your whole life. Again, I think I heard you say, you know, keeping the emotion, the compassion in but the emotion out. 
I'm just interested, how did it work having your brother on your advisory board? And again, if you were setting it up today, would you do the same again? At that time, absolutely. You've got to have people that you respect and, and, and admire and, and want to step up for. And he, he's also a very smart business person that makes really good quality ethical decisions. He always has. So I really deeply admire him for that. So, yes, I, I would, and, and he's not on my advisory board now, but um, we all take advice from all sorts of different avenues, from the informal to the formal, um, and one model doesn't replace another. Like a governance board, an advisory board doesn't replace a governance board. It's, it's a different mechanism. Um, you're getting advice from family and friends doesn't replace your advisory board. It's different. It, well, I'm, I'm glad you've raised that. I wanted to ask about when would you choose an advisory board and, where, and what does it do? And when would you choose your governance board and what does that one do? It's a good question. Look, an advisory board ultimately is very different to a governance board. So a governance board, if we start there, is a decision-making model. It's, um, it's a serious undertaking. It's binding. Um, so directors are legally bound by the decisions that are made and personally liable for it. And the business is bound to deliver on those decisions as well. So it's a very serious undertaking. So decisions have to be really clear. An advisory board is not a decision-making model. It's a problem-solving model. So the decision stays with the business or the organisation. So it's there to, um, uh, the mechanism is generally when you bring together external mentors collaboratively having a conversation together. So it's a thinking system Mm -hmm. and they review and road test ideas. They focus on whatever the agenda is and what the charter is and they pull it apart. Consensus can sometimes be a killer on an advisory board. They're not there to make a decision. So road testing ideas, thinking it through. Um, when my advisory board members start agreeing with each other, I tell them to stop it. <laughs> I don't want you to agree. I want you to think this through for you. I want you to fight for it. And that's why the profile of advisory board members, they should all be very different from each other. So you have that rigour in the conversation. A governance board, you know, from my understanding, you know, mostly meet, you know, 10 to 12 times a year. An advisory board meets around four to six times a year. Got to be really careful. You've got to have good governance around an advisory board uh, because you don't want to create shadow directorship issues. And that's why a chair really needs to know what they're doing. So your advisory boards are, you know, helping the founder often of the organisation built it up. How do they, often in in governance boards, we hear of founders syndrome. How do advisory boards work with and around founders in in the best possible way? So so the advisory board market works with founders as well as businesses, organisations and corporatised environments as well. So the the, the key market for advisory boards are generally businesses with $1.5 million to $100 million turnover. And there's a lot of different subsets on that. So $1.5 to $10 million, you're dealing with certain dynamics, $10 million to $30 million, $30 to $50, $50 to $100. So when you're dealing with the $1.5 million to $10 million and $10 million to $30 million, that's a lot of that founder market, especially that the sweet spot of $5 million to $30 million. It's a very important space that advisory boards really take up where business owners and founders want support, but they don't want to lose control of their business. 
they sometimes don't even realise that they are directors of their own business. They just, I'm, I'm business owner, so they don't even realise that they are a director and they should, that, that's their governance structure. Mm-hmm. So some founders and some businesses um, really work well with advisory boards because they can take feedback. Others that don't take feedback uh, are not right for an advisory board. You, you'd be wasting your money. We think advisory boards are really relevant to 6% of the market. Businesses that are focusing on what's next, on growth, 70, 74% of businesses have an advisory board because of the growth strategy. And 92% of them have never had one before. So I think they're really brave when they bring one in. And I think if you're going to get external advisors and you, get, you want to set up an advisory board structure, just do it well. If you're going to do it, do it well. Mm. Um, and have the right process and the right support so that when you the conversations are respectful, advisors know how to provide advice, know how to provide feedback. Business owners are able to step up because they're learning about how to improve the way that they lead their business through the types of conversations that they have on an advisory board and that filters back into the business and the way that they manage their business long term and you can see it actually Helia after about six months of having an advisory board business owners change the way they make their decisions and it slows it down because most founders me included are addicted to making decisions you make decisions on the run so if you stop and focus on problem solving and ultimately if you've got an advisory board every you know once a quarter that's a series of 90-day plans it slows the decision making down because you're focusing more on the problem and problem solving so you're able to move and reshape your business as you go and then make a stronger decision at the end and then stay on that decision not changing your mind and that that's an absolute value of an advisory board is that discipline throughout all of this conversation that we've had even way back to the start of the conversation when you were talking about managing the islands in the community, you've, you've talked a lot about the research and methods and models that you have done. It's clearly one of the things that you do is around doing the research, gathering the data, what's the method, what's the models. In your work around advisory boards, what has the research and data shown you around the methods and models that need to be put in place? I know we've touched on some of it. What's it shown us? It's a moving feast, hell yeah. So um, it took a long time to build out the framework. What is the, what is the foundation for it? So that a research piece, you're always researching, you're always learning from it. And measurement of impact is an important piece. So measuring where a business is at in the beginning, as well as having a longitudinal evaluation on an annual basis, enables a business to learn itself and a business owner to learn about their business but continue to learn as it, as everything changes and so having a foundation for knowledge as it moves and changes is a really important part so I, and the methodology that's been the foundation to our research is really understanding what are what are the metrics what do we measure in the first instance and that then gives us our framework to then say, if that worked, why did it? If that didn't work, why didn't it work? If one person, a chair, is working with an advisory board in this environment, it worked, and it didn't another, why is that? How do they move and shape the model so that we learn not only from our own experience, because there's nothing better than being your own crash test done, because <laughs> you know what it feels like when something works or doesn't work, but then learn from other people's experience and you have that collective brain um, and it feeds our ongoing development of the sector. It, it's interesting, Helia, 
advisory boards is not leg legislated or regulated. So you don't want to restrain them by putting too much process. You understand different processes and it can evolve and change to make it fit for purpose. But you don't want to say this is the only way to do it because that's not the truth and you're constraining it for no reason other than just to prove that you're right. So when we built the best practice framework that was then launched in the market in February this year, it took me three years to work it out, right, before I took it to an independent technical committee that now oversee it. When you look at it now, you go, oh, of course, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. But advisory boards is the best practice is not about process. The best practice standards are all about process. We can't have a best practice standard because the processes can change and can evolve. So it's best practice principles. So when it's principles-led, you've got a really good ethical foundation to say, what is the right way to approach this for this particular situation? And it can change and it can move and you can do the right thing because you can never have enough rules. And you can see that in the, in the governance space now and it becomes really constrained and that's a really tough place to be in. So we don't want to inflict that on the advisory board sector when it doesn't need to have those constraints, but it needs to have a strong foundation. If we've got strong foundations around principle and ethics, that's a great place to be. It's a great place to be able to build a community that's around thought leadership and harnessing the thought leadership rather than focusing on process. I mean, I think there are some fabulous insights there for both advisory boards and governance boards, even though governance boards are highly regulated. I think there's some getting those principles, values, whatever it may be right and really working on those uh, and working to those is incredibly important in the thinking work of any group, whether it's an advisory board or any other sort of group. Exactly. And where I see, you know, the ecosystem of thinking and ecosystem of problem solving, then decision making. Advisory boards and governance boards, I think, are really a good mechanism to collaborate. An advisory board in no way replaces a governance board, but it's a mechanism to really support directors. And the, the challenge that I see for, for directors, Helia, is that they've got a lot on their plate, their personal liabilities increasing. And so to make decisions, deliberate decisions as a governance board member is just, just becoming harder. And we're dealing with uh, an environment now where it's escalated uncertainty, but it's a great space for innovation and to do different things, but that's high risk. So governance boards, where we are seeing, seeing the real shift in the market is corporatized advisory boards. It goes beyond the founder, it goes into the corporate sector, yeah. where governance boards can take some of those high-risk conversations off the boardroom table bring it into an ecosystem of some critical thinking that's independent mm. um, uh, to really road test, pull it apart and, and put some rigour behind it so when it goes back to the governance board table, there's much more strength in the knowledge of what that decision is going to be about. Fantastic, yeah. So they can work hand in hand with each other, having those, those slightly different, um, uh, what's the word, kind of... Um, emphasis on their roles rather than stepping on each other's toes. Fantastic. Exactly. And project-based advisory boards where it's just around a particular strategy. Mm. Yesterday I was speaking to, you know, um, uh, two businesses that have got business interests overseas. They can't travel. They can't get to that market. 
how do they support their business interests in that market? Having an advisory board with local business people in that market just makes really good sense. It supports their executives in that market, but also gives line of sight about what's happening in, in, in that market from a, a business context as well. Oh, Louise, this has been such a fantastic conversation around advisory boards and what they do and, and how they work for people, just incredibly useful. So what, what are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Be optimistic. There's a lot that it's beautiful blue sky out there today. And, and I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking that's what advisory boards enables people to be really optimistic about the future. Mm. The current environment, there's a lot of people I think are feeling a bit stuck. We don't need to be stuck if we just focus on the things that we can control. Instead of saying why, an advisory board is there to say, well, why not? If we can harness that vision or whatever that vision is, um, the optimism and that the energy that goes with that to do some really good things in an ethical way, that's adding value, value that's being impactful, that's for me, the, the way, and I've got, a little, I've got a little sign behind me that my best friend gave me a few years ago. So and it's just become really, you know, my little mantra. It's uh, saying stay humble, work hard and be kind. Um, and that is, that is really um, what I see. People who are drawn to sit on an advisory board as a chair or as an advisor, they're highly sophisticated people, yet they're humble because it's not about what I know as an individual. It's how can I help somebody else achieve what they're setting out to do? They are great words to, for people to take away. Is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? There's the State of the Market Report, because I'm, an, I'm the propeller head of the group, so I do all the research. The State of the Market it. Report, <laughs> State of the Market Report is, is the first report that's been released which actually maps what's going on in the advisory board sector. Mm. Um, so it's a really useful read for those that are interested in, in how they work and how businesses are using it at the moment. The other one is uh, a research report that we released um, just a few weeks ago, which is around um, the female founders and scaling businesses for female founders. So it's, uh, I think, very interesting read. It's not about judging women, it's about understanding them and the, the challenges as well as the ambitions of, of, uh, of scaling businesses, whether it's male or female, it's, it's actually a very interesting read. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure we put links to both of those in the show notes for today so people can access those as well. That's fabulous. Louise, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and sharing your wisdom about advisory boards. I know it is something that often comes up in conversations around advisory boards. It's like, what do they do? How do they work? All of those sorts of things. So this conversation, I think, will definitely help to enlighten those conversations. So thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Nelia. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community.
Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.